Welcome to the HEAL podcast for all things related to Lyme disease and other chronic illnesses. I'm Mimi McLean, Mama 5, founder of Lyme 360 and a Lyme warrior. Tune in each week to hear from doctors, health practitioners, and experts to hear about their treatments, struggles, and triumphs to help you on your healing journey. I'm here to heal with you. Welcome back to the HEAL podcast. This is Mimi, and today we have on Lauren Keller from Two Purple Carrots, and she's calling in from Spain. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so excited to hear all about your journey and your company and how you're helping other Lyme patients. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. So can you first start out just by telling us your journey? Because I know that's what makes you kind of special is that you've been on this journey and you know how it feels, which is such a hard, you know, it's hard to describe to other people who haven't experienced it. Yeah. It's so funny. It seems like a lot of people make their way to this field having come from their own health journey, right? Yeah, (laughs) Um, true. Yeah. So I had like my quote unquote crash in 2011 and really just... I had been diagnosed with endometriosis before, and I knew that that was a health issue for me, but before then had really pretty good health besides this sort of period issue. And in 2011, I really just kind of woke up one day and felt bad. And in the beginning, I thought that I was just had a really bad version of the flu and that I would get over it. And then two weeks passed, three weeks passed, more and more symptoms piled on. I started getting like air hunger, shortness of breath. 24-7 headaches. I was so fatigued. There was a point where I was sleeping 20 hours a day. Really, you name a symptom and I probably had it at some point. Severe muscle cramping, POTS to the point where I was actually having fainting episodes. And I just had no idea what was wrong with me. And so I think like everybody, you know, I went to all of the Western medical doctors and did all of the tests and everything was coming back, you know, pretty normal. And finally, at the end, I think like most, I got sent to a psychiatrist and basically was told, you know, you probably have depression, anxiety, you should take this. I hate that. Yeah, it's just horrible. It's like horrible. I'm like, you know, it was a 27-year-old, perfectly functioning human being. Yeah, I want to live my life. I don't want to be like sick. (laughs) Yes. So I did go see the psychiatrist and he did an MRI and he actually thought that I had multiple sclerosis. And so I sort of went with that diagnosis for a while, but for some reason, it just didn't feel right to me because a lot of the symptoms I was experiencing were were really outside of the realm of multiple sclerosis symptoms. And finally, I actually went to go see a headache specialist, which sounds really funny now because of all the symptoms that I had, you know how you kind of get like focused in on that one thing that you just really hate the most. Yeah. Well, headaches are awful if you have a bad one, right? I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible. And mine were literally 24 or seven. I would go to bed with them. I would wake up with them. I just felt like I got no reprieve and I've tried everything. So I went to this headache specialist who basically said, you know, I can maybe treat you for your headaches, but I think you have Lyme disease. And I was like, Lyme disease, you know? That's amazing. Now, wait, where was this headache specialist? Where, Where was he located? So he was in New Jersey and I was living in Alaska. So, oh my gosh, I, so how did you even find him? Online, just like we all do, searching like the best yeah. headache person in the world. And he kept popping up. He was actually a dentist and he had this headache dedicated clinic. And that's all he did all day, every day. He's since retired. But he said, you know, you should get tested for Lyme before you decide to come back all the way from Alaska and do treatment with me. He said, because I don't know that it's just a structural issue for you. 
that's giving you the headaches. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll do the Lyme test. I took my report and I was like, this is silly. And I actually came back positive by CDC standards for Lyme. So in a way it was a bit of a blessing, you know, that I didn't go through all the IgeNex testing and stuff. That's very expensive, but that really brought me into this whole world of, you know, it's not just about the Lyme, it's about a lot of things. And so I initially started treatment with an LLMD who treated very traditionally with lots of antibiotics and antifungals, very little support, very little detoxification, very little talk about the terrain or mold or other things that could be affecting health. And I actually didn't get better doing the antibiotics. I always say like for Lyme, I think the antibiotics did absolutely nothing for me. For Babesia, which I also tested for, I think it did actually really help me a lot being on the antibiotics. A lot of the air hunger and night sweats and things did go away with that. But at the end of the day, I was still left fairly debilitated. And I stopped seeing that person, started doing my own certifications and really just healed myself after that. That's amazing. So you found, did Klingheart help you get, because you're Klingheart certified, correct? Yeah. Did you start going to him as a patient or did you start just doing his certifications and then kind of found him that way? Yeah. I just started doing his certifications and started doing ART certifications and then did every course that he came out with, listened to every lecture he ever did, did the ILADS training program, which is fairly you know traditional with a lot of antibiotic use, did lots of just courses on detox, courses on mold, courses on digestive issues, microbiome issues, and kind of just you know put the whole puzzle together into something that sort of made sense to me and kind of developed my own idea of, of what health looks like and kind of put it into this pyramid of, of what I view health to look like. Mm-hmm. And how long do those trainings take? Like how long were you online learning all this? Depends. Some are, some are short. Some are just, you know, like 60 hours of training. Some are a little bit longer and some I would go to a conference for three or four days and do trainings that way. So it was kind of just a little bit here and there through the course of yeah. the years. It's a never ending process. You know, you never stop learning. Yeah. There's always new stuff. It's crazy. I'm always doing new certifications and new trainings. Always, always, always. Right. And he has such great, like I was listening to a bunch of his like talks online during COVID. Like he had a lot of great stuff that was always coming up, especially in light of what's going on right now. Yes. And he always is ahead of the game and putting out really good information and, and it's really research-based and he's such a blessing in that man. He just, <laughs> he knows everything about everything. So no, it's great. Okay. So once you got that certification, did you ever go back to another doctor or have you completely like done it all on your own since then? I've done it all on my own since then. I've had some help along the way from various people. Like when I was going through SIBO treatment, I would sort of check in like, Hey, this is sort of my plan. I'm a practitioner. What do you think of this plan to kind of get like the, okay, that sounds good sort of thing. But for the most part, completely on my own. So if someone were to come to you right now and just says, because I get this question a lot, like where people are like, okay, I'm either waiting to get my appointment for my eyelid doctor. That's like a month away. What can I do right now? Like, what would you suggest somebody to do that they can do at home with no money or very little money with expensive treatments that they could do right now, just kind of start putting their healing journey in the right direction. Yeah. For me, it's never about the bug. You know, you have to go back to thinking about what, what is in my environment or what is in my internal environment that's making me a really good host for this bug. And so think about it a different way. You know, in Western medicine is really good. There's a germ and we treat it with an antibiotic. There's a yeast and we treat it with an antifungal. The kill, 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 right? 
kill, kill, kill. And it's just, you know, that's fine for what it is, but you're not sort of addressing like why that bug or that thing has chosen you to be the perfect host for them. Because there's been studies where you can test a hundred people in the population, healthy and non-healthy people. And a lot of healthy people also are walking around with Lyme disease and Lyme, you know, spirochetes in their body. And so it, I don't think it's about the bug anymore. It's just about what your body is lacking that's allowing this to take hold. So I would say, you know, start working on your foundations. What does your nutrition look like? What does your environment look like? Are you living in a moldy environment? Are you eating non-organic food? Are you filtering your water? Are you living in a really high EMF environment that's going to cause all of these bugs to go crazy? What does your internal terrain look like? Is your liver functioning optimally? Your lymphatic system? And so go back to the foundations because that's your base for, for getting you know, rid, quote unquote, of this Lyme bacteria. Okay. Yes. And that is very overwhelming, right? So I remember seeing right off the bat someone who was like this kind of a doctor and I was kind of like, wait, like, where do you even start? Right. Do so you like, say you have everything like, like in your case, you had a lot of things going on, which yeah. was my case too. So do you start with like the mold first? Do you start with the detoxing? Like, is there a plan? Like which one you should do first? Yeah. So I kind of made, because I had to sort of put this stuff on paper too, to, to make it make sense to myself as well. So I kind of put everything in a pyramid and I always show people this pyramid that I make that goes through the rungs of where you should start and then how you should progress to the top of the pyramid. And at the bottom are all those foundational things that I talked about. So the Wi-Fi, your food, movement to whatever extent you're able to do that toxicity in your environment, which could include mold or could include the products you're using, sun exposure and nature. Those are sort of like at the bottom. And so let's maximize all of those things, get rid of anything that is toxic in our environment and introduce things that are non-toxic into the environment. And then above that, you start getting into the, the detox stuff and the organs of detox. Are you methylating okay? Are you draining? Are you detoxing? Are there any genetic issues that we need to look at? And then from there, you can get into the actual to toxins, the mold, the metals, the parasites, which I kind of include in toxins, even though they're technically a pathogen, the pesticides and the chemicals. And then above that, you have all of your viruses, retroviruses, and bacteria. And so those are kind of the last on my list of things really to do. So I usually start people with draining and binding. And then as they become stable on that, and they maybe get a little more energy or some of the symptoms are at least dwindling a little bit, then you can start with more detoxing stuff. And then from there, you can introduce maybe some testing, looking at, okay, is there mold? Is there metals? Are there chemicals, pesticides, parasites that we need to deal with? Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. So, okay, can we talk also about, because I find this really difficult to do, so I'm sure other people are will as well, is the EMF. So like for you, like I'm assuming you're on a computer, I'm assuming you're on, you use a cell phone, like what tips, like we're not all going to get rid of our cell phones. <laughs> And our computers, like that's just not the world we live in. And unfortunately, we're surrounded by Wi-Fi everywhere we go, especially with 5G coming out and rolling out. So, I mean, you go to school, there's Wi-Fi. You go to Starbucks, there's Wi-Fi. You go to public, everywhere you go, there's Wi-Fi, right? What do you do on a daily basis that's like a low-hanging fruit that someone can do without having to like hardwire their house? 
Yeah. So the biggest thing is to not be exposed to Wi-Fi radiation while you're sleeping. So if that's the minimum amount that you can do, then that's what you can do. So everybody can turn off their Wi-Fi router when they're sleeping. Nobody needs Wi-Fi on when they're sleeping. So at the Mm -hmm. bare minimum, turn off the Wi-Fi at night and limit your cell phone use as much as humanly possible. For me personally, I do have everything hardwired. So my computer is hardwired right now. I have my cell phone on airplane mode all day, unless I'm hardwired in, which you can hardwire your cell phone. How do you hardwire your cell phone? Do you have like an adapter? Yeah. So there's an adapter that you can buy that I wish I had it right here. I could show you, but you plug it into your phone and then the other side is the ethernet cord. And so you can ethernet your phone while it's in airplane mode and you can still access the internet. Mm -hmm. And what do you do? Like if you're out and about going for a walk or out with your friends or whatever during the day, do you not bring your cell phone? Airplane mode. Yeah. Really? So you never have your phone on? I don't, unless I really like, I'm out, I need to look at the maps really quick or something. I'll turn it on and look. But really, I think in the beginning, like when I was really going through my healing journey, I didn't think much about the EMF Wi-Fi radiation. It felt too big. But I think the more, you know, Klinghardt has just talked a lot more about it recently. Now I think with the onset of 5G, it's going to be worse. But it's, it's hard to say you can heal without this because it's just such a big topic. I mean, there was literally $20 million study done in the U.S. in 2016 that basically told us that Wi-Fi radiation leads to cellular death and cancer. And so it's a hard topic to ignore now. And I've been doing more of it in my practice now than I did previously. But it is a big topic and it's an expensive one because how much does it cost to hardwire your house? But you can do the little things. And the biggest thing is just to reduce your exposure. So not having Wi-Fi in your house makes a massive difference. Every foot that you're away from a Wi-Fi device, that is 10 times less radiation exposure the farther you get away from it. So turning Mm -hmm. off your Wi-Fi, even if you're in an apartment building like I am surrounded by Wi-Fi, it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Do those things work like the necklaces or the thing that you put on the back of a computer or cell phone, like those little EMF devices, things that you can buy? I'm not super impressed with a lot of that stuff. I think the only way that you can know for sure is to actually test it, you know, with a, with a radiation meter. Mm-hmm. And Which they do. Like if you go on their website, right, with whoever's selling it, they do do yeah. that. So yeah. like, you're like, okay, are they lying or does it really work <laughs> or, you know, until you actually buy it yourself and do it. Yeah. I think probably a lot of them that are out there are not the best. Maybe I err on the side of shielding versus like using, what do they call those devices that kind of, they introduce good wavelengths into the environment versus the Wi-Fi is like a negative wavelength. Yeah. I don't really love that because it's not testable and it doesn't Mm -hmm. actually reduce Wi-Fi in your environment. So maybe those wavelengths do something beneficial for your body. I don't know, but it doesn't reduce the Wi-Fi. That I do know Mm -hmm. because you can't measure it. So Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge proponent of a lot of the shielding stuff. I think it's better to leave things in airplane mode or turn them off or turn Wi-Fi off than anything. Yeah. And is there any other like advice for the EMF world that you could say, like any other tips as far as trying to? Yeah, I think there are some things you can do internally if you know that you're going to be surrounded by Wi-Fi quite a bit and you can't really escape it. Uh, Like an airplane ride, like say if you're traveling, like is there anything you take? I do. So I take rosemary tincture, which is shown Mm -hmm. in the literature to block radiation from the cells, as well as bee propolis is another one that Klinghart talks uh, talks about quite a bit. So I do those two when I'm traveling. I also take a homeopathic EMF protection. Now, can you do those every day, even if you like 
are not traveling or is that, is there any negative to taking those every day? There's not. No, no. the propolis is really wonderful for the immune system in general. It was one of the things that came out as a recommendation for prevention from COVID to doing B propolis throat sprays. There's also a machine that outputs B propolis into your air, which is really nice for cold and flu season, very antiviral, antibacterial, but I don't do the internal stuff every day. I just do it when I know I'm going to be surrounded by Wi-Fi or when I'm traveling. Right. So if someone comes to you and they have like symptoms like joint pain, is that to you like, okay, that must be Babesia or is like, do have you seen a common link between people's symptoms and what they have or what they need to do? I think now because everything's so muddled, it's really hard to go off of symptoms. And I just sort of go into it now, assuming that everybody has all of the things or most of the things, because we all have a little bit of all of these things. Like you and I still have some level of heavy metal in our body. Maybe we have some level of mold in our body. We definitely have some level of pesticides, herbicides, plastics, et cetera, in our body for sure. And so I just kind of assume that we have to start at the basics and start with the detox process and working through each toxicity as we go and as the body sort of allows us to work through those toxicities. So speaking of detoxing, what are your like your go-to detoxes? Is it coffee enemas? Is it lymphatic drainage? All of them. As much as you can do and as much as your body allows on your you know, level or scale of sensitivity, coffee enemas are wonderful for you know, moving bile and moving the liver, which is you know, it's the organ that gets hit the most from all of this stuff. Infrared saunas, love them. I feel like everybody should be sweating on a regular basis. Lymphatic drainage massages, rebounding, dry brushing, all of the things. The more that you can support each system, the more that you can maximize the way that we get stuff out of our body, because we can only do it four ways, pooping, peeing, breathing, and sweating. The more that you can maximize that, the better outcomes you'll have. And the less you have to really go after those pathogens, because if your terrain is doing well and you're draining and you're able to bind, then all of a sudden, maybe the Lyme doesn't make as much of a difference. Mm -hmm. Right. Now I definitely have seen a positive impact from doing coffee enemas, but I've had a couple of doctors tell me like, Ooh, that's not good for you. Cause it's going to ruin your like biofilm of your gut or like, the bad also goes out with the good. What is your opinion on that? So I think the literature is pretty clear that it doesn't do that. I mean, we, if you mm-hmm. use like the Gerson therapy as an example, you know, these people, Gerson therapy was originally founded for cancer. And so these people are doing like eight coffee enemas a day for a, a year, <laughs> yeah. a year and a half or two years. And they come out the other end just fine with, with an intact microbiome. So I would be much more concerned about two years worth of antibiotics than two years worth of coffee enemas for disrupting the microbiome. And also, you know, the coffee goes to the portal vein and goes straight to the liver. You're not sending this coffee all the way up through your intestinal tract and out again. And so mm-hmm. can it maybe wipe out some bacteria in the colon? Possibly, but I don't, it's not a huge contributing thing that I would say don't do them because the benefits really outweigh the risks there. Mm-hmm. And do you do the tea that Dr. Klinghart recommends, the um, cystis tea? I do sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I recently heard him say, if you're not doing cystis tea, you're not my friend, you're not my follower. <laughs> so- <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. And he does that every day. Like that's what he drinks all day long. He does. Yeah. Does it matter if you get the cystis tea from like Whole Foods or if it's his from Europe? Is there a difference? I mean, he says there is. I know. Yeah. So when I've gone, I went to a conference of his back in 2009, before all this COVID stuff, 2019, excuse me, before all this COVID stuff. And 
he was saying that they source the cystis tea from Sardinia because it is so far from any herbicides or pesticide use that it's very low, like low risk, low contamination versus other cystic teas. Maybe there isn't that degree of separation. So mm. I don't know. Cause it's been so like interesting and helpful. Okay. So if you have Lyme and you get to the point where like, okay, now it's time to start. So you don't start treating the Lyme right off the bat, like not until the third or fourth phase. Are you using the ones that pretty much Klingheart kind of recommends like the biocidin or any of the um, herbals is kind of your path? Yeah, I generally do the herbals if we get to that place where we need to do herbals. To be honest, Mm -hmm. like if you do a lot of the detoxy stuff, you get out of living in mold, you chelate heavy metals, you clear out parasites, the Lyme is not really that big of an issue anymore. And then I find that I use very, very little herbs for for Lyme. But in general, yes, I sort of combine Klinghart's herbs as well as Buner's herbs. Interesting. So obviously you, at this point, you would not tell somebody they're newly diagnosed, Hey, go down the route of the antibiotics. Cause you think most of the time you can get cured or healed or feel better or whatever you want to say it. I don't want to say cured and get in trouble, but like you can feel better by doing the other path. Yeah, for sure. A million percent. I mean, if your body was functioning well and your liver was functioning well, the Lyme literally wouldn't matter as much. I mean, is there this idea that the Lyme was weaponized at some point the Lyme that we have in the U S is more virulent? Sure. But I know that most of the people that come and see me have done really, really long-term Lyme treatments. And there has literally been no focus on their detox organs, no focus on environmental issues. Nobody has ever looked into mold or heavy metals or parasitic issues. And so you're talking about trying to like kill off this bacteria And you have no way to get that dead and dying bacteria out of your body. You know, most of these people are constipated. They have swollen lymph nodes. They have edema. They have these chronic symptoms that just haven't gotten better at all with any antibiotic treatment. So that tells me like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not responding to antibiotic treatment, then there's something else going on. Like something is getting missed when you've been banging your head against the wall for two years doing the same thing. Yeah. How many cases have you had that have been so difficult that your protocol has been like harder to to get to a place where they feel better? I really think the people that have done the long-term antibiotics and really like harsh treatments and then come and see me and now they're bed bound and now they're down to eating seven foods. They have histamine reactions to literally everything in their environment. You know, they have to live in darkness. That's a very long road to getting them back to some you know, stability, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I have a few that are like that, but we can't even do zoom calls with each other. We have to do messages through Voxer because they only have energy for three or five minutes during the day. Those are really, really hard cases to get them back. Talk to me because you just mentioned something that a light bulb went off. So I've gotten to the point now where I'm, I get histamine reactions to a lot of things. What is that about? Like, why does that happen? So I think it's a microbiome dysfunction. I think the majority of people with histamine issues have some sort of microbiome dysfunction that hasn't been addressed, like leaky gut, or your your bucket's spilling over. So you have so much toxicity that you're not able to get out that your body's like, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is just, this is too much. And it's, it's kind of like a chicken with their head cut off. You know, it just starts running around spewing inflammation and histamine and cytokines everywhere. And so- You have to find the toxicity that you're missing, dampen down that cytokine response that keeps happening every time it sees that toxicity over and over and over again. Make sure that your bile is not recirculating. That's a huge one. How do you do that? Coffee enemas? Coffee enemas is one. 
this is going to sound really weird, but beans is another one. If people can tolerate beans, I often get them on beans like six or seven times a day if they can tolerate it. Like to eat Um, beans. Beans. Yeah. (laughs) It essentially forces the bile out of the system instead of having it go back through bile recirculation. There's a whole protocol actually called the bean protocol. And so I incorporate some of that and then binders, of course, any other type of binders, but beans really work as a really cheap, effective binder. Oh, that's interesting. And then I read somewhere, someone told me the other day, like, if you're using chlorella as a binder, that's not good. Have you heard that before? That's the first time I've ever heard that. I mean, so Klinghart loves chlorella. I don't share the same love for chlorella. I use it sometimes, but I think you need to be relatively healthy to use chlorella, to be honest. And I worry about chlorella with heavy metal issues. I think that chlorella can sort of not fully chelate heavy metals, but sort of pull them and it sort of causes a redistribution effect. And so oftentimes Mm -hmm. when people are really toxic with heavy metals and you introduce chlorella, they feel like total dump. So I don't use that until people are healthy. And then you can start using the chlorella to prevent further toxicity from happening. No, this all makes sense. This has been amazing. How did you come up with your name, Two Purple Carrots? So (laughs) back in the day, I really started, you know, because I think we all like start with food, you know, we kind of get like obsessive about food and like we need to eat a certain way in order to heal. And so I sort of started just wanting to do like nutritional counseling with people. And then I just realized like, I have so much more to offer and so much more knowledge outside of nutrition. And now I actually do very little nutrition, but the name sort of stuck. And so it kind of went with the nutrition side and then it stuck. And I actually thought about changing it a couple of months ago and everyone was like, no, don't change it. We know you use two purple carrots. So now I just feel like I'm going to be two purple carrots forever. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And you are moving out of the United States forever or for a little while or. So I've been here three years and I just renewed my visa for two more years. So I think I don't have any plans to go back. It's definitely a better lifestyle for me personally here. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) That's great. That's great. So any other like last minute tips that you would offer anybody right now that, you know, feels lost and doesn't know where to go. And like, for me, I'm like, every time I hear like a new doctor or practitioner talk, I'm like, Oh, I want to go to them. I want to do that. It's like the shiny object, (laughs) like, right. You keep going. And then that's the problem. Then you stay with them for three months and then you're like, I'm not getting better. And then you leave and you go to somebody else for three months and you just get on this vicious cycle. At least that's what I've done for the last five years. Yeah. It is really hard because it is like the practitioner, you know, merry go round. I think for people, sometimes I would say, you know, you can do a lot of the foundation work on yourself. Like you really can, like you can, you have everything you need to be able to heal yourself. I would say start tapping into that intuition. Number one, we all have it. We've just sort of lost it over the years and chronic illness really makes us question our intuition. So like, does this thing that you're doing feel good to you physically as well as intuitively or not? I really tapped in a lot to my intuition on taking supplements and stuff. You can learn how to do muscle testing on yourself. You can grow in that knowledge base. In the beginning, it's going to feel super clunky and weird, and maybe you won't trust the results and that's fine, but that grows. But I think at the end of the day, like the mindset is really key. (laughs) And the more and more that I do this work, the more I dive into like the mind-body connection piece, because number one, if you want to go about looking at the science of it. We have lots of science, like sort of proving this sort of proving whatever this mind body connection. Look at Bruce Lipton, biology of belief. Look at Mark Wolin, who talks about intergenerational family trauma. 
Look at Joe Dispenza, who literally had a broken back and healed it with meditation alone. We have more power than we think that we do. And I think chronic illness really depletes that power even more than maybe it was before you got ill, but it really is there. You can do it and you can tap into it. So I would say focus on your draining, detoxing, and binding. You can do that on your own and really start looking at the mind-body connection and how you can tap into that intuition, which is, it's a difficult road too, but I think it will lead to better outcomes than just banging your head against the wall and seeing you know a new provider every three months and ending up in five years in the same position you're in now. Mm-hmm. No, it's so true. Like you just get helpless and it's just, it's so hard. It really is. So I feel for everybody who's going yeah. through it. Cause I, and when you get better, you're like, I don't want to ever think about it again. And then all of a sudden you have a crash and something triggered again and you can't figure out what triggers it. And then it makes you mad because you're like, wait, I was fine yesterday. And now I'm in bed and what happened and why? And, and then yeah. it just kind of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. Yeah. And, but it's also part of our mental loop that we don't even realize we're doing. I didn't realize I was doing it. I mean, I literally tell people that 60 or 70% of my healing was regulating my, my emotions. I mean, that's not simple. It took a long time. I freaking hated meditation. I would sit in meditation and just sit Mm -hmm. there the whole time. Like this sucks. I hate it. Like this is the worst thing ever. And then you just, you just do it and you do it consistently and things Mm -hmm. do change. And so when I just started realizing that I wasn't powerless and that, you know, the road is a little bit bumpy sometimes, but it probably didn't really have anything to do with what I did yesterday in terms of what I ate or what I did or didn't do. I stopped like being so neurotic about it. Things started to fall into place more. And I started mm-hmm. trusting myself and trusting my instincts and, and going more off of that. To get to that emotional place, did you use a program? Did you just meditate? Did you have a guide? Because there's a lot of you know online courses that you can take or different paths. Like I just learned about like the WHOOP method, and then you the EFT, and like there's certainly is there one that you would recommend or that you used? I do a lot of EFT. I think it's a great accessible place to start because it's easy to learn. You can't do it wrong. You know, you just start doing it, and then you sort of find how it can work better for you, and then you change things as you go. I talk about Joe Dispenza a lot. I think his teachings really changed the way I thought about everything in life and chronic illness. So his meditations were like a massive part of my healing. At one point I was dedicating like two hours a day to doing, to being in meditation and being in a state of gratitude and sort of elevating, you know, he always talks about us being addicted to these emotions of fear and worthlessness and and all of this stuff that comes with chronic illness And so if we can just be in a state of elevated emotions for a period of time, it it literally changes our cellular structure and allows our immune system to have a fighting chance against all of this stuff. So Joe Dispenza, and that's totally free. I mean, his, well, I guess not totally free. You have to buy his meditations, which are like $5 a piece on iTunes, but he has tons of videos online for free. I did do Gupta for a while to help kind of rewiring, which is a similar program to like DNRS. And I found that helpful. But for me personally, like I just really resonated with Joe Dispenza's teachings. And so that I think made the biggest impact. And then in the moment when I was having symptoms and I needed to do something more active, the EFT really helped me like, oh, like I'm having air hunger now. And so I would kind of go through the EFT and how the air hunger was making me feel. I'm feeling really out of control. I'm feeling really terrified right now. I'm never going to get better. It's giving me anxiety. And then you kind of work through the EFT while doing that. Mm, interesting. This has been amazing. I 
Thank you so much for your time. And if anybody wants to learn more about Lauren or see any of her courses, because I saw that you had some courses also online on your website, just go to twopurplecarrots.com. Yep. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks again for tuning into the Heal podcast this week. Go check out Line 360 to get the show notes from today and to learn more about Lauren and any of our other podcasts. If you enjoyed today, please subscribe. It helps other people find this podcast and have a great weekend. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.